Welcome to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, presented by the Institute for Biblical Worship at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. That's right, I said the Doxology and Theology Podcast, a podcast for worship leaders who know that the gospel is so good, it has to be sung. I'm your host, Matthew Westerholm, Associate Professor for Church Music and Worship at Southern Seminary and the Executive Director for the Institute for Biblical Worship. On today's episode, we are dipping into our worship resources to bring you a clip from Dr. Michael Reeves. Dr. Reeves is president and professor of theology at Union School of Theology in Bridgend and Oxford in the United Kingdom. In this clip taken from our 2021 conference, Dr. Reeves discusses worship and God the Son. Friends, in this session, I want to look at how to be truly Trinitarian, we must be constantly Christ-centered. See, it's wonderful to be looking together at the Trinity. The Trinity is the living God of the Bible. But the Trinity can become a detached philosophical party game. And you can find such trinities bobbing around out there, filled with excited talk of love and relationship and the great dance that is Father, Son, and Spirit. But detached from Jesus, such trinities become idolatrous speculations or constructions. Jesus is the one who makes known the triune God. And if we are to speak of the Trinity, We must speak of the Father, who is made known by his Son, Jesus Christ, in the power of the Spirit. So, let's start at the start. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, clearly it is Genesis 1 that's dominant in John's mind as he wrote those opening verses of his gospel. In the beginning, the light shines in the darkness. But to appreciate more deeply what John meant when he wrote of the word, it's worth seeing something else from the Old Testament that seems to have been on John's mind as he wrote. If you look at verse 14, John says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory. Now, as you no doubt know, John chooses an unusual way to express this. More literally, he writes that the word tented or pitched his tent among us. And with the mention of glory straight after, it seems clear that John is thinking of the tabernacle the tent where the Lord would come and be with his people in the wilderness and where his glory would be seen. So as the Israelites saw the bright glory cloud of the presence of the Lord filling the tabernacle, so the word is where we see the glory of God. Now, in the innermost part of the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies, The Lord was described as being 
enthroned between the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. This is uh, in 1 Samuel 4.4 in Leviticus 16. And inside that gold-plated Ark throne were kept the two tablets on which were written the ten words or commandments, the law, the word of God. For Israelites, for them it modeled the truth that the word of God belongs in the presence, in the very throne of God. The word of God then is the one who belongs in the deepest, most essential closeness with God. The one who displays the innermost reality of who God is. He is, Hebrews 1.3, the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact imprint of his being, for he is himself God. He is, Revelation 3.14, God's Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. And friends, pastorally, this is dynamite. So many think this has so often been a pastoral problem in the church. They think that behind gracious Jesus, the friend of sinners, behind him there is some more sinister being, one thinner on compassion and grace. But since Jesus is the word, we can be rid of that horrid, sly idea. No, there is no God in heaven who is unlike Jesus. There cannot be. Jesus is the word, one with his Father. He is the imprint, the expression, the radiance, the glory of who his Father is. So if you've seen him, you've seen his Father. In him, we see the true meaning of the love, the wisdom, the power, the justice, the majesty of God. And that means through Christ, I know what God is truly like, which means that though I'm sinful like the dying thief, I can dare to cry, remember me, because I know how God will respond. And though I'm spiritually lame and leprous, I know I can call out to him because I know what he's like towards the weak and towards the sick. And you know, this was the subject of what was perhaps the greatest battle the church fought in the centuries after the New Testament, to uphold belief that Jesus truly is God, none other than the Lord God of Israel himself. He is the one who led the people of Israel. He is, as was enshrined in the stirring words of the Nicene Creed, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through the word, we know God. And if, if we do not go to this word to know God, all our thoughts about God, however respectful, however worshipful, however philosophically satisfying, will be nothing but idolatry if we don't go through the word. You know, an old Puritan preacher, Stephen Charnock, once wrote, Is not God the father of lights, 
the supreme truth, the most delectable object? Is he not light without darkness, love without unkindness, goodness without evil, purity without filth, all excellency to please, without a spot to distaste? Are not all other things infinitely short of him, more below him than a cab of dung is below the glory of the sun? Now, we talk about an enviable delight. Here, Charnock, he's a man for whom the very thought of God brings these rhapsodies of joy. In that outburst, you hear, here's a man who just seems to carry the sunshine with him, a man with a, a core of comfort. So here's the question. How could Charnock be so besotted with God? Where did he get such gladness in God? Well, Charnock could not have been plainer. He said that true knowledge of the living God is found in and through Christ. But what we see in Christ is so beautiful, it can make the sad sing for joy and the dead spring to life. Charnock said, nothing of God looks terrible in Christ to a believer. In Christ, the sun is risen, shadows are vanished. God walks upon the battlements of love. Justice has left its sting in a saviour's side. The law is disarmed, weapons out of his hand. His bosom open, his bowels yearn, his heart pants. Sweetness and love is in all his carriage. And this is life eternal. To know God believingly in the glories of his mercy and justice in Jesus Christ. In Christ the Word, we exchange darkness for light as we think of God. And only when we see that will we truly love God. Friends, if we're to be drawn away from jaded, anxious thoughts of God, we need such a knowledge of Christ the Son every day. We don't need a knowledge of God undefined by Christ, but of Christ the Word, the one in whom all the perfections of the living God shine so beautifully and brightly. Now, I think, I think it's very easy for Christians to nod along to this, to think we know all this, but it seems to me it's even easier to think about God without going through the sun. And this is something the great theologians of the church have always been hot on. So take the reformers, for example. The reformers saw how easily we can speak of God without reference to his self-revelation. And so what the reformers did is they deliberately applied the principle of sola scriptura to the doctrine of God, arguing that God is known truly not through our unaided human reason. He is known through the preaching of Christ in the gospel. So Philip Melanchthon wrote, he was uh, Luther's right-hand man. Melanchthon wrote, we seek a God who's revealed himself. And how? Christ, he said, leads us to the revealed God in this way. When Philip begged that the Father be shown to them, John 14, the Lord earnestly rebuked him and said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. 
Christ did not wish God to be sought by idle and vagrant speculations, but he wills that our eyes be fixed on the Son who's been manifested to us, that our prayers be directed to the eternal Father who's revealed himself in the Son whom he sent. Now, to get this, to get the importance of this, of going through the Son in order to know God as our Father, I want to see just how this cashed out practically for Martin Luther. See, Martin Luther, from the earliest days, Luther had feared God with a loveless dread. And it was clear that it was because Jesus Christ, the Savior, was not shaping his understanding of God. So Luther wrote that as a monk, his mind was filled with the knowledge that God is righteous and he hates sin, which is true. But Luther recognized that he later recognized that he'd failed to see any further into who God is. He'd failed to see what his righteousness is, what his holiness is, why he hates sin. And the result, said Luther, was, I didn't love, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. And secretly, if not blasphemously, murmuring greatly, I was angry with God. You see, not knowing God as a kind and compassionate father, a God who brings us close, Luther found he couldn't love him. And what happened, therefore, was that Luther and his fellow monks, they wanted to love, but they couldn't love God. So they transferred their affections to Mary and the other saints. That changed through the gospel. When he began to see that God is a fatherly God who shares, who gives to us his righteousness, who shares with us his blessedness. In fact, looking back in, later in life, Luther reflected that as a monk, he said, he'd not actually been worshiping the right God. For he said, it is not enough to know God as the creator and judge. Only when God is known through Christ as a loving father is he known aright. Luther said, for although the whole world has most carefully sought to understand the nature, mind, and activity of God. It's had no success in this whatsoever, but God has revealed and disclosed the deepest profundity of his fatherly heart, his sheer inexpressible love. Luther saw our natural problem as sinners is we were totally unable to come to a recognition of the Father's favor and grace except through the Lord Christ, who is the mirroring image of the Father's heart. Without Christ, we see nothing in God but an angry and terrible judge. Luther saw that through sending his Son to bring us back to himself, God has revealed himself to be inexpressibly loving, compassionate, and supremely fatherly. And what Luther found was, not only does that give great assurance and joy, 
it also wins our hearts to him. For he said, we may look into his fatherly heart and sense how boundlessly he loves us. That would warm our hearts, setting them aglow with thankfulness. So through the salvation of this God, saw Luther, we see a God we can actually wholeheartedly love. That is a hard place to stop, but if you'd like to hear more, please go to our website, biblicalworship.com. Click around to find the word podcast, and you can find show notes for season two. We're happy to share with you all that we have for free. That is what we have for you this time on the Doxology and Theology podcast. Our show is produced by Evan Jarms, engineered by Isaiah Small and Caleb Sherwood. The music is by our good friends at Murphy DX. Until next time, this is Dr. Matthew Westerholm reminding you that the gospel is so good, it has to be sung. Peace be with you.